0: On today's podcast, we have Christy Blanchard with us. She is a family law attorney here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. She has some accolades to her name, and let me just spill them out for you. She's the past president of the Texas Young Lawyers Association, executive director of the State Bar of Texas, and she has served as a trustee for the State Bar Private Insurance Exchange, and there is so much more. She is a dear friend of mine, sorority sister, pledge sister. She was in our wedding. You guys out there, you are either going through a divorce, you know somebody that's going through a divorce, you know somebody that is scared that they're going to have to face that at some point in the road. And this episode is very informative. It is a little heavier than some of the episodes that we've had in the past. However, Christy shares stories and examples to support the information that she is sharing so you will be able to understand it better. It is highly informative. I highly recommend that you listen to it and share it with your friends that need to know this information. So please, please, please join me today as we celebrate Christy but I'm just glad I get to talk to you and I'm sorry that we have to talk shop, but I'm so glad to have you as a resource because it seems like with COVID and everybody living together, everybody improved their homes, but not their marriages. (laughs) So I wanted to have you on because I just know that people just need a little bit of direction and they might have questions and not knowing where they want to go. Or what they want to do, and so you might be able to give some of the listeners some clarity. So, all right, are you ready, girlfriend? I'm ready. All right, okay. So I met you at Texas Tech because we're pledge sisters, so that's how I know you. But did you go to we did you go to school a year before you went to tech?
1: Yes, I went to a junior college, Tarrant County
0: Junior College, the oh, year before. Okay, that makes yeah. me feel so much better because I pledged as. I guess a junior, I was a freebie. And so Uh you sophomore, I didn't know that. Yep. I sure did. Oh my goodness. It was so much fun. How many of our sorority sisters do you think that you have done cases for? A
1: handful, a handful. And a lot of, um, a lot of our sorority sisters will send me cases.
0: Yeah. But I I
1: find that really everybody that I come into contact with has someone who needs family law help. So it's really easy for me to get clients mm-hmm. just because, you know, everybody knows somebody. And at some point in anybody's lives, they have some kind of issue that comes up. That's right. a family law issue.
0: Well, how did you even think about becoming a lawyer? I don't think I was aware of that was your path when we were in college together.
1: Yeah, I was, um, I was a political science major okay. and really enjoyed those classes. And I was originally going to be a teacher,
0: Yes, oh my
1: God. <laughs> and I started working at a a little school, a little private school, teaching pre-K,
0: and
1: mm-hmm. um, I learned pretty quick after working that job that that was not going to be the job for me. Um, I didn't have the patience that a teacher needs, and just the amount of work that I was having to do with the pay that I was being given Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, this is not for me and I need to find something where I can make more money. I, um, I switched gears. I was a political science major. And so there's really nothing more that I could have done using my degree other than go to law school okay. and be a lawyer or be a teacher. So that's kind of how I got into that realm. Um, and then I went and worked at a law firm before I started the application process. And I also did an internship with the federal district courts in Dallas. Um, Just to confirm, that's what I wanted to do before I started studying for the LSAT and doing the application. And Mm -hmm. that kind of sealed the deal. I really loved working at the law firm as a paralegal. And I loved my internship that I did with the (laughs) courts. Well, if I was going to go through that much effort, I wanted to make sure that's what I wanted to do because it was... It's going to be three years of really intense studying, and just the application alone was a beast in itself.
0: I was just always impressed with you because, you know, when you're young and you start entering the real world and your friends are getting jobs and careers, it's so fascinating to see the person that you grew up with or that you went to school with and how, you know, what they're becoming. And I was always so impressed. Always so impressed with you and just flabbergasted how smart you were, how put together, how perfect everything seemed in your life. And I didn't know that you had a little bit of a backstory. I had no idea until you opened up to me that you had gone through some heavy stuff.
1: Oh yeah. I got married very young to a guy that I met in college and about six months into that marriage, realized that he was an addict and from that point on I was in law school at this point it was my freshman year of law school and um, from that point on I did everything possible to try and get him help and nothing worked and so I kind of compartmentalized the issues that I was having with him while I was in school Mm-hmm. And just steamrolled ahead with school until I basically took the bar exam. Um, I didn't tell my family. There were, I had a handful of friends that knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. And um, once I took the bar exam, I finally opened up and let everybody know what was going on. Just because I think, I didn't think I could get through law school and get through the bar exam and all the things that I needed to do if I was um, emotionally dealing with what was really going on and facing what was going on. So after I got done with law school, um, I was actually one of the first divorces that I ever did. Was that therapeutic
0: or was that heartbreaking or both?
1: Um, kind of both. I was fine. We were separated for a year before um, the divorce was finalized. And I thought I was over all of the emotional stuff Mm -hmm. and thought I was fine. And so I went down to the Dallas courthouse and proved up my divorce in front of a a judge that I was good friends with. And um, he even asked me during my prove up if I wanted to go back to Chambers to do it. And I told him, no, I'm fine. So got through that and then cried the whole way back to my office. Um, So, you know, it's one of those things you think you're, think you're done and it's you think you're fine but you know it's an emotional process you're grieving you know what you thought was going to be your lifelong marriage
0: mm-hmm. when did you know you needed to pull the trigger that he was not going to get better that for divorce
1: when i had tried everything um it finally got to the point where i told him you know either either go to rehab or I'm out and he just never would admit that he had an issue and, um, get help, the help that he needed. And yeah. so at that point I was, uh, you know, I was, I was looking for a partner that I could have a life with and have a family with, and he was not someone that I could have a family with or spend the rest of my life with. Cause You know, he was, he was doing drugs constantly.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry. But I got to see you after the divorce. Uh, All of us girls are still single and we got to make some really sweet memories. One, including a road trip. Was it down to Austin? Yes. And that's where you met your spouse.
1: Yes, I did. We went down to a UT Texas Tech game. Had a great time and uh, ran into him, and he came and hung out with us. And my sorority sisters grilled him for hours. So I knew at that point in time that he was probably someone that would be good to date because he had already been put through the ringer from all my sorority sisters,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nicole, and who else was it? Was it just us,
1: Nicole, you, Ashley Whitman? My gosh. and i feel like there was somebody else but i can't remember
0: and we had already been out that day we had already you know been visiting and having a good old time so he met us at prime time yes he he, i remember nicole grilled him i grilled him i mean we all said if he can handle your friends the first time absolutely he didn't bat an eye he was and was he, were y'all talking? Who, who introduced y'all? I can't remember.
1: I have a girlfriend in Dallas that introduced us. My, my husband is a home builder, and he was a home builder at the time. And he yep. built a house for one of my girlfriends. And so she had introduced us months before. and But I didn't know we were being introduced for that reason. She, um, she went and told me she had to pick up a key to look at a house, at her builder's house. And so that's when we first met each other. And um, he knew that we were being introduced as a possible, you know, someone he might want to date. I wasn't interested in dating anybody at the time. And so I just thought we were picking up a key. (laughs) So uh, we met that night and then um, started dating months later.
0: I love it. And y'all have three beautiful children. Yes, ma'am. And you're the cutest pregnant woman ever. Oh, thank you.
1: Loved
0: seeing you pregnant, like every time I was just like, "Oh my goodness, you did thank I mean you. adorable pregnant. How was that balancing your career and family? How did that's been really hard. Um, I think it's probably
1: one of the hardest things that women
0: undertake. For me,
1: um the only way that I could really balance everything and be the mom I wanted to be was doing my own thing. So when my daughter was born, first child, I decided to go out on my own and do my own law practice. And I had a buddy of mine that I did a bunch of state bar work with that also wanted to start his own law firm and start doing family law. And so he approached me to see if he interested in starting a law firm with him. And that's how our law firm began. So he's from the Waco area, or was at the time, and that's where our um, primary office is. And we're still, we're still in business today, um, doing our own thing. We do family law. He does criminal defense. We do some trust and estates, civil defense. Um, we've got lawyers. I don't know how many right now off the top of my head how many we have, but we've got a whole, whole roster of lawyers, and everybody just does kind of something different. And it's been great. And it's the only way that I was able to have control over my own schedule. Mm -hmm. And so I'm able to take the cases I want to take and work the hours I want to work and still be there for my kids. So I try to structure it where I'm doing the bulk of my work while they're in school. And when they're not for the summers and holidays and things when they're out of school, I'm able to be home with them.
0: I want to go over a lot of like shop talk with you because I know yeah. a lot of questions and a lot of families are hurting, but could you tell me, so you family law is not just about divorce. There's other things that are involved with family law. Yes, we do. um We do
1: marital contracts. So we do prenups and postnups, which is um, agreements where spouses can agree Before marriage and then during marriage, um, certain assets they want to earmark as separate property and certain assets they want to earmark as community property or debts. And it's kind of a contract that, you know, says we're going to, if there is a divorce or during the marriage, we're going to treat our property and our debts in this manner and pay our property and debts in this manner. And then we also do adoptions. You do. Adoptions. And those are great. I love doing adoptions. Those are my favorite kind of cases. Because you're able to, you know, place a child with their forever family. Or maybe a child who has been in a family but, you know, hasn't been a permanent, um, permanent part of that family. Or, you know, been able to take their last name. Um, and be a be a um, official part of the family so I do adoptions as well Um, we also do child support cases where if we parties are not married um, we'll go get child support set for a child with the court we also do child modification cases so once you have an order regarding a child with regards to child support or with regards to possession and access, we can go in and modify those orders with the court to you know, change the child support amount or modify a possession schedule for a child. And then we also do enforcement cases. So with enforcement, if someone's not following an order, we can go um, file a motion with the court and have the court um, hold them accountable for their violations of the order and either modify the order or order them to pay the attorney's fees or um,
0: fines for not following the order. Is there any myths around divorce that you want to debunk?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think people think that divorce has got to be easy. And that, you know, well, we'll just go get divorced and, you know, everything will be fine. And, you know, I, I'm one of those lawyers that when a client comes in and they're giving me their reasons for divorce, mm-hmm. I play devil's advocate with my, you know, clients. Um, and I'm one of the ones that raises questions about, well, you know, is this really something you want to do? Why don't we try counseling first? Um, because they don't realize the impact that the divorce is going to have on their family and on them, especially when children are involved. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, to give you a good example, I have some friends who the husband filed for divorce and the issues they were having, um, I didn't think, you know, warranted a divorce. And I didn't think either one of them was going to be happy. Wow. And that they could fix the issues they were going to have. And they have a child together and they've been through a lot um, together. And so I hated to see them split up after all that time so I convinced them both to go to a counselor that I um, have used in the past that's amazing and they are now working with her on the issues that they're having and their divorce has been put on hold and I have lots of confidence that that divorce is never going to happen so you know I like to help people solve problems and sometimes a divorce is not the solution. Um, Mm -hmm. Because the problems you're having are going to carry over and do subsequent relationships. And so by getting divorced, you're really not dealing with the issue. You're just finding another partner to have the same problem with. Mm, Yeah. So I feel like I'm more, I'm a counselor too in that aspect. Yeah. And um, so, you know, divorce is not always the solution. I also have, you know, people that come in that have read stuff on the internet with, you know, child support or possession and a- possession and um, a- access schedules and things that are just not correct. So, you know, I try to give them a good overview in my consultation with them about you know, what Texas law is and how it applies to their particular case and what would probably play out in their case um, if it were to go to court. That when, way, when they leave a consultation, they know exactly what they're looking at. Well, so
0: I know you don't want to encourage people to dissolve a marriage, but there are times where it's necessary, like with abuse. And there's absolutely. several different types of abuse. What types of abuse have you seen in your practice? Right. The
1: majority of the abuse that we see um, in my type of practice is emotional abuse. mm um, and that's always the hardest one, um, I think, to prove. And so when I, and we, we also see physical abuse, but typically with the the ladies or the men who experience physical abuse, the they usually have a track record with the police department. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're typically involved before we are protective orders or things of that nature a lot of the men and the women that I see are the emotional abuse, emotional abuse folks. And um, with those cases, it's hard because it's not physical, it's emotional. And when someone is subjected to that type of abuse, it's confusing to them. I think times because they don't recognize it as abuse mm-hmm. because it's not physical. Yeah. Right. so that they continue in those relationships for long periods of time and they develop coping mechanisms hard for them to get out of those relationships because they've usually dealt with it for so long and it had such a negative effect on their on their self-esteem on their confidence and when I get those folks they're pretty beat down emotionally um, because of what they've gone through.
0: We know what verbal abuse is. We know what physical abuse is. We know what financial abuse is. But what does emotional abuse look like? What have you been seeing?
1: Um, emotional abuse is a lot of name-calling, a lot of put someone down. You're a mother, you're a terrible father. You don't do this right. You don't do that right. You know, you're, you're fat. Kind of bully behavior that you... Experience from somebody.
0: When someone is navigating a divorce, and I know this is a silly question, but it's not, you know, yeah. what can one do to make it run smoothly if, on either side of it, whether you're filing or you're getting served?
1: The more consulting you can do with a lawyer to get prepared, um, to know what documents you're going to need, what evidence you're going to need. Um, You know, what your future is going to look like um, when the divorce is finalized and kind of get yourself not only emotionally ready, but physically ready to go through that process. Mm -hmm. Typically, those cases run a lot smoother um, because you're ready. Um, In addition, I always have clients meet with some type of counselor and I usually recommend counselors that I've worked with in the past Mm
0: -hmm. that have been
1: real helpful to clients. And that's also helpful to make the process smoother because the counselor is helping me deal with all the emotional aspects of the divorce. So when the client is coming with me and we're meeting, we're meeting, we're discussing the business aspect because a divorce is, in my opinion, the most important business transaction you will ever do in your life. You are... You know, entering into an order or a contract regarding all of your assets um, and your kids and what's going to happen in the future um, with regards to your kids. And so if we can get all of the emotions out of it, it makes my job um, a lot smoother so that we can get to that the business side of things and not be dealing with the emotional side of things.
0: Also, you bill by the hour, so they can either pay for a counselor or pay for you, and it probably be less of an investment to go get counseling rather than pay you guys.
1: Absolutely, and I will tell them that you know the more of more of the offline stuff they can do with a counselor, the less time they're going to have to, um, and so it's a lot better for them to be spending, you know, time with their counselor at a lower billing rate than with me at a higher billing rate, which. You know, I'm not, I'm not equipped to do mm-hmm. counseling services. <laughs> um, and so I like, I like to think, you know, I'm, I'm good at, you know, kind of navigating through that stuff, but um, their time and money would be a lot better spent with a counselor before. And, you know, while they're meeting with me,
0: I know that you've said this in the past, I've heard you say it before, document, document, document. What does that phrase mean to you?
1: Yes. Um, if, something is going on in your marriage, um, typically some type of abuse, document it. So whether you get your phone out and just do audio recordings of the abuse or you do videos of the abuse, if you can get away with that. Um, keep text messages, email, anything that would be evidence of what you're dealing with from that other person. Um, If it gets to the point of physical abuse, call the police. Mm -hmm. And call the police every time it happens so that you've got a police report and a paper trail. Because when we get up in front of a judge and we're telling the judge he's emotionally abusive, he's physically abusive, and it's our word against theirs. And the judge doesn't know, you know, who's an honest person and who's not. And so the judge is just going to have to make a judgment call. But if you've got some type of evidence that makes my job a lot easier and the court's job a lot easier to figure out who's telling the truth and whether or not the claims that are being made are actually true. Um, and to give you an example, I had a case years ago where the wife was actually the abusive spouse, um, Mm -hmm. physically abusive, um, emotionally abusive. And, um, she had called the police and was trying to tell the police that my client was the aggressor and had her and um, was being ugly to her and had actually punched I think. And she had some, some marks on her face. Luckily my client had consulted with me and had been consulting with me to kind of help guide him as to, you know, consult on how this case was going to go and any, any recommendations that I would have for him to get ready for the case mm-hmm. and I told him at that time if you're being abusive to you, record it even if it's just an audio recording that you can get away with, record it because if they ever call the police you can play that recording for the police and the real quick whether their story is true and who is the actual aggressor occasion she was being very verbally abusive, physically abusive with him. And so he locked himself in their uh, master bedroom and wasn't letting her in. And she was um, you know, trying to knock the door down, punch it, yelling, all the above. And um, she had punched herself in the face several times before she called the police. And so the police show up and um, she's got bruises on her face. And is alleging that my client beat her up. And so he had that audio recording that he was able to show the police. And you know let them listen to. And so they knew real quick that she was lying. And so they didn't arrest him on that occasion. And they told her to leave. Mm. She then went and hired a lawyer. And tried to get a protective order against him. And I was able to take that audio recording into the judge. And let him listen to it. And that shot her entire case down. And my client ended up with custody of the kids mm. and the wife had to move out of the house. So since you can get to try and negate any kind of allegation that, you know, might be made um, is always best. In our line of business, people will go to any lengths, unfortunately, to get custody of the kids, to get an advantage um, in their family law case.
0: People tend to use their children as pawns or weapons.
1: Absolutely. I see it all the time. Um, and it's really sad because the only person who's, who's hurting in that instance is the kid.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, what advice do you have for a woman that could be navigating a divorce? You know, how much money should they save up? You know, how do you deal with the lawyers and you also are balancing the kids, you know, Yes. Um, I would suggest
1: if you are gearing up for something or wanting to kind of start stashing some money away or things away to get prepared for a divorce or a family law case, um, I would get a credit card in your name if you don't already have one that has a credit limit of it, you know, as much as you can get. Um, If you want to start stashing money, you know, Put together a little nest egg of five, ten thousand dollars, if you can, um, so that you can at least pay a retainer, either in cash or with a credit card. Because what will happen is, if you go to hire a lawyer, they're going to ask for a retainer mm-hmm. of some amount, and then you will have a hearing typically within two weeks of that lawsuit being filed, and that hearing is called a temporary order hearing. And at that hearing, the judge will decide how you're going to pay attorney's fees um, during the divorce proceeding. And so if you've got a spouse who's the breadwinner, who's, uh, you know, not allowing the other spouse to have any access to money, the Mm -hmm. court at that time at that temporary orders hearing can rectify that situation and order the husband or the wife to give the um, spouse with with without the money. Mm-hmm. Um, to pay for their fees or to give them access to certain accounts so that they can pay for their fees. Um, so if you put it on a credit card, then the judge at that time can order the spouse who holds all the cards to pay for that, um, pay for that credit card debt so that that other spouse can get representation. So if you can just make it to that hearing um, then you'll be good. So you just need enough money to to get a retainer of some kind to a lawyer to show up at that hearing um, and try to get you some some more money um, and financial resources to continue takes- that representation.
0: Okay. If somebody goes to a, a family law attorney, puts down a retainer, you know, does that mean, yes, they're filing for divorce, or does that mean they're just inquiring about it? And if they if the spouse does that, would the other spouse know or like how would the other spouse know that the other spouse went to a family law attorney and put down a retainer?
1: Right. Um, typically, the retainer is only going to be paid if the lawyer is being retained to represent that spouse. So you can go in for a consultation and consult with a lawyer about what your options are. At that point in time, the lawyer will give them what's called a, um, a fee agreement, which is an agreement between the client and the lawyer that sets out what the retainer amount will be for their case. If they want to retain the lawyer to represent them, then the um, retainer will be paid um, along with them signing that fee agreement with the lawyer. And that means that that lawyer is going to be representing that spouse and they're getting ready to file something. So you wouldn't know that the other spouse had gone to a lawyer to consult unless um, they put it on a credit card that you might have access to or you know they tell you or you have some other way of finding out Um, and the same thing with a retainer Um, you have access to the credit card or the um, financial account that they pay the retainer from there's really no way for you to know without you know, either being served with paperwork or them telling you or you, you know, seeing a charge on a credit card.
0: Well, what goes in between somebody putting a retainer fee and filing for divorce? What steps are in between that?
1: Really, um, whether or not the client's ready to ready to go. So, if you pay the lawyer a retainer and you say, I'm ready to file, then the lawyer mm-hmm. will then go prepare the motion that needs to be filed with the court for that particular case whether it's a divorce petition um, or a modification suit or whatever, whatever suit is being filed. Once that, that motion is prepared, the lawyer will then file that motion with the court. Um, If they're wanting a temporary orders hearing, they will then request a temporary orders hearing. If they're asking for some kind of an injunction, they'll ask for it at that time. The court will then sign um, the injunction or any additional, the notice of hearing, if you are requesting a hearing. And then the lawyer will ask for the clerk, um, once it's been filed, to prepare citation. um, Or they'll get a copy of what's been filed and prepare correspondence to the opposing party. You have the option in a divorce suit or any other, any, any kind of suit, to have the person served with the paperwork um, by a process server or the opposing party can sign a waiver of service. And that's an affidavit that states, I got a copy of the petition um, and I'm waiving my right to have a process server send it to me. And then that will be filed with the court. And that will get whether you're served or you file the waiver, you sign the waiver of service, that's a, either one of those tells the court that the opposing party has gotten a copy of it. Excuse me, has gotten a copy of the um, petition and has notice of it.
0: This is all over my head. Okay, uh, so glad that this is your profession and this is not mine. This <laughs> <laughs> is like so much. How do you keep your sanity with all this? Oh, I've been doing it for a long
1: time, so it's like it's uh, just an every everyday event for me.
0: Okay, this is a hot topic: the child custody. There's yes. always a standard that we knew growing up in the 80s. You know, moms always get the kids and the dads get them every other weekend. Dad gets the vacation. Mom does all the work. Mom gets the money. Dad pays it. What are you seeing today with the child custody? You know, what's what standard? You know, I know you think that's really, truly standard, but what are you seeing a lot of as far as time being split up?
1: There has been a big push um, for equal possession. when I say equal possession, a 50-50 possession schedule, whether that's one week off, one week on, or one party has Monday, Tuesday, they flip on Wednesday and the other party has Thursday, Friday. Some counties have judges who are pro 50-50 and some counties have judges that are not. It just depends on what county you're in and what judge you're in front of. Um, If you're in front of a 50-50 court, that is pro-50-50, then they will start with a 50-50 possession schedule for mom and dad, meaning they will have split time and equal time with the kiddo. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not in one of those courts, and I and I would say there's not, there's not even 50% of our courts that are you know pro-50-50. Mm-hmm. They typically, most of our courts will will start with the what we call a standard or expanded standard possession order for the parents. And that is one parent is the primary, the other parent is the possessory parent who's exercising the visitation. And our typical visitations are every first, third, and fifth weekend, um, dad or mom will have possession from Friday to Sunday, or they have the option... To have from Thursday to Monday morning. So Thursday when they pick them up at school till Monday morning when they drop them off. That's expanded, and they have the yep. option, if the allows them to, to say that I want the expand. Um, if the regular standard possession, it's Thursday, um, either overnight from when they pick them up from school to when they drop them off on Friday to school or from six to eight in the evening. And then on the weekends, first third and fifth from Friday, either when the kiddo gets out of school or six o'clock until Sunday at six o'clock. They're pretty split. Um, Christmas one party will have from when they get out of school for Christmas until December 28th at noon. The other party will have from December 28th at noon until when they go back to school or mm-hmm. 6 o'clock p.m. on the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will alternate every other year. Who has Christmas, the first part of Christmas, so mm-hmm. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, um, yeah. will not have Thanksgiving in that year. The other party will have Thanksgiving. Okay. And that then make- spring. Yes. And then spring break is typically... Um, the party who is exercising possession they will have spring break okay and then the kid's birthday they'll have from you know whoever's not already in possession would have the right to have six to eight on the kiddo's birthday to take them to dinner or something mothers have mother's day weekend fathers have father's day weekend um, and those are our you know standard holidays for summers um, the person who's exercising possession would typically get 30 days in the summer. If they live under a hundred miles from the kid, if they live over a hundred miles, then they have 42 days. Um, with the, the other parent who has um, primary possession would typically get one weekend
0: um, of possession during that 30 days. Common law marriage. When in the state of Texas, when a couple has been married for 10 years, if you dissolve a marriage, it's fifty-fifty split with the assets. Is that correct? On a common law marriage? Well, if you've been to, if you've been married for ten years, but does common law marriage did that also equate with actually being married for ten years with the alimony or with the child support or anything? Or I'm not to ask what I'm asking. I guess
1: I, I know what you're asking. Let me. Uh, really hard to prove. Um, and a lot of our courts, courts are reluctant to find someone common law married um, unless they see certain things. Um, and typically the courts like to see the parties filing their taxes, the federal income taxes, as a married couple. That's one okay. thing they'll look at. Okay. And so- um, they'll also look at to see if um, you're holding yourself out as married or... Um, if you've got, you know, things, things Hopefully. together like, you know, like elect, electric bills, uh, mortgages, things that were you're named as a married couple are mm-hmm. put on there as a married couple. Um, there is no requirement for statutory requirement for the amount of time you live together.
0: So what if somebody married? Well, what if somebody wasn't married and they were common law? You know, then
1: the court would treat you
0: just like a party going through a divorce. Well, but what if you were common law and then you got married, like you physically, you were common law and you went through all the things that you said, you know, you had health insurance, you had bills, y'all were living together, uh-huh. um, but you didn't actually have a physical ceremony. You know, somebody could have gotten pregnant within that time. You're trying to get, you know, have the baby and get thin before you wanted to get in your wedding dress, whatever uh-huh. it could be. And then you physically get married. And then now you find yourself possibly navigating a divorce. You know, so you're saying for somebody to include that common law marriage within their marriage, make it that 10 years, within then they have full split of the assets.
1: What the court would do in that instance is the court would try and ascertain, okay, what is your date of marriage? Um, if you're saying you were common law before the actual um, ceremony, then Mm -hmm. the court will look to see if you were holding yourself out as a married couple and doing all the things that I talked about. And if you were doing those things and the court okay, what was your date of marriage then prior to the ceremony? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, both parties would argue, you know, one would be arguing there was no date of marriage and the other one would try to Portrayed to the court. No, this was the date they agreed to be married. It's the day they filed their federal income taxes as a married couple, or it's the day they bought their house as a married couple, Mm. or you know, this day that you know, the husband sent the wife a letter or a card saying, I'm so glad you're my wife. Um, Something to that effect. Um, If there is no evidence of common law marriage prior to the actual ceremony. Um, then the court would typically go with the ceremony date where, you know, you actually had the ceremony, you signed the marriage certificate, all that good stuff. So it would just be, you know, it would be a, the court would look at several factors to decide what that date of marriage. Um, and they would determine what they believed to be the date of marriage that day, day. forward with regards to how to split up assets.
0: Okay. financial abuse. We're gonna call it that. Yes. When when one client or excuse me, when how would I say it? I don't wanna always I always keep going like the wives I know. I'm a girl and that's how my brain thinks you know and that's typically for me and my area of people that I know this is how it works. Um what happens I guess is how I should report it. What happens when one spouse have access to any of the financials they access to any of the bank accounts, savings accounts, retirement accounts, anything financial. The other spouse is refusing to give them passwords, letting them do anything. They're demanding that the other spouse gives them money to control and then won't give them access to that account. But yet, they are in the financial field. Isn't that Mm -hmm. not... That's that's being controlling and offensive. When you don't have access... And and a divorce will fix all of
1: that. Um, In a divorce suit, when you go to that temporary orders hearing, um, or even during the discovery process, the court is going to order that the non-controlling spouse um, have access to all the bank account records, um, all the retirement account records, and be given access to money. Whether the controlling spouse has to pay them a certain amount of money every month, Mm -hmm. attorneys, you know, bills. Mm-hmm. Or um, the court, you know, gives them, you know, access to a certain account for all their bills out of. Um, so the court is going to be the equalizer um, in those types of cases so that the non-controlling party is going to gain access um,
0: to those accounts
1: and also to uh, monetary assets so that they can pay their bills.
0: What is alimony and does that exist in Texas? How does that exist?
1: It does exist in Texas. Um, You have to be married for 10 years or more um, or be a victim of domestic violence. Um, And there are certain requirements that you have to meet um, to qualify for it. Um, The court has to determine that you cannot meet your minimum reasonable needs um, with assets that either... um, that exist in the divorce that you're given in the divorce, um, to qualify for those. So let me give you some examples. Thank you. (laughs) Um, so typically someone who's going to be allowed to get alimony in Texas or qualify is someone where there's not much by way of monetary or, um, community assets to divide Mm -hmm. and the husband or the wife, Um, Whoever is the, you know, earning party, um, you know, has has income and the one who's asking for alimony doesn't have any income um, and doesn't have the ability to go get income to pay for a house and food. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have a divorce suit where the earning party has spent all of the community assets and there's nothing to divide. Um, they've got a job. The other spouse doesn't, the other spouse hasn't worked in years. That's the type of case that the court is going to award some alimony in. Um, because that spouse is not going to be given any assets in the final order that can help, help them pay for things. Mm -hmm. And they don't have the means to go get a job to pay for things. So that's what, you know, those are types of the cases that I see the court awarding alimony in. If you have a case where you've got an estate of you know 500,000 a million you know 500,000 up um, or even a little less than that and the wife's going to be given or the husband whoever's asking for alimony is going to be given um, you know some of that estate in an amount that the court feels they can provide for their minimum reasonable needs going to qualify because Mm -hmm. they're going to be given assets that they can sell um, to pay for their you know, pay for their living expenses. The court's also going to consider the amount of child support that the requesting party is going to get upon the divorce. So, you know, if you're getting child support to the tune of, you know, a couple thousand dollars a month, then if that's sufficient to provide for your minimum reasonable needs, then the court may not award alimony. Um, It's totally subjective um, to the judge who's deciding. They have the authority Um, And they're the fact finder unless you have a jury um, to decide whether or not, you know, someone is entitled to um, alimony in Texas. Now, you can get temporary support in a temporary order while the suit is pending. And it's a lot easier to get temporary support than it is to get alimony Mm -hmm. Um, because the court on a temporary basis really can do whatever they want to do. Um, without it being appealable by by our Court of Appeals. Mm
0: -hmm. So,
1: um, you know, if you may not qualify, you may not be married for 10 years, there's no um, domestic violence um, that's gone on during the divorce, and maybe you have a job, but you don't have enough to pay for the marital residence, you know, exclusively by yourself Mm -hmm. um, or your car payment or things of that kind, um, then the court can order the other party to pay temporary spousal support and then they would you know you give the court a budget this is what it costs for my client to live in the house this is what she makes um or this is you know what she's getting in child support every month if she's not working um and then the court will order the other party to pay the deficit while the court while the divorce suit is pending
0: i don't know how to deal with this stuff all the time (laughs) do you have or have you seen people that are not willing to work you know, yes,
1: I've, yes, you I've know. seen
0: it, and in those te- those cases are
1: always the hardest, um, especially if it's my client, um, because if we're you know a person ready for a divorce, the reality of things, unless you've got a really sizable estate that your client's going to be given, um, is going to have to go back to work whether they like it or not. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, in those cases a lot of times the judges on temporary support and temporary support hearings will mm-hmm. order the the working spouse to pay the temporary support to the non-working spouse for a period of time um, and they do that to try and give the non-working spouse an incentive to go get a job and they'll you know a lot of judges will tell them about that I'm for him to pay this or her to pay this for 6 months And after that six months time, you know, they're not going to be ordered to pay that anymore. You've got six months to go get a job.
0: Yeah. Um, Very generous because, you know, sometimes people within the marriage, you know, there could be a party that refuses to work or one of the parties, you know, could be where they couldn't work because they had a child that was too young or that had special needs. And so, you know, the other the spouse has been out of the workforce for such a long time. And then when you get back in the workforce, you can't get the kind of job you had before you had a kid. So it gets very complicated. I've heard heard somebody say, um, you know, I would rather give my spouse half of everything I have for the rest of my life versus living with them and giving them everything. And they're trying to control me. And I thought, wow, you really don't want to be in that marriage. Like that marriage was life sucking for you. Okay. Yeah.
1: Right. Yes.
0: So I always look at these questions where the women get the house, the women get the kids, the women get child support and the men just go off footloose and fancy free to go do whatever they want during the week and every other weekend. And their wife's just babysitting basically and taking care of everything their ex-wife all the time. And it just blows my mind that of how everything is navigated. Right.
1: And a lot of times I see people who get divorced for financial reasons I've had a couple of divorces over the years where um, the wife or the husband just refused to work. And so, you know, the working spouse just gets tired of it and Mm -hmm. that's why they file for divorce. Issue in your marriage. um, You may think, you know, trying to find a way to solve that, whether you get a part-time job or, you know, do something to try and, um, you know, rectify that situation because ultimately Unless you've got a very sizable estate, you're going to have to go back to work anyways. So you might as well, you know, if that's the only issue you have going on, um, right. you know, try and rectify that fight um, and go get something that you're comfortable, comfortable doing.
0: What is the silliest thing that you've seen somebody file for divorce over or what's the silliest thing you've heard of?
1: Um, two cases come to mind. I had one years ago. My client was in her eighties. Her husband was in his eighties, maybe early nineties. Okay. And, um, they had from previous marriages. So they got let married later in life and they already had kids and their kids were fighting over what they were going to be entitled to upon their parents' death.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: And just ruining these elderly people's marriage and making their lives miserable. And so um, the husband in that case, you know, loved his wife. But he, you know, was confused and conflicted because his children were, you know, making up all kinds of stuff and telling him the wife was stealing things or her kids, which wasn't true. Um, But they actually forced their dad to file for the divorce divorce um and we had a temporary orders hearing where one of the, the the parties the elderly parties were so distraught the wife had to have open heart surgery because um, she had a heart attack during the process oh so goodness. we had to have a hearing with her in the hospital bed that both of the clients were crying um they loved each other they were sneaking around to see each other it was really terrible um, and we ended up um, getting them to do a post-nuptial agreement to satisfy their kids as to what their kids would be entitled to upon their death. Oh, my goodness. Um, so that we could keep, you know, let them stay together. But you know, it was it was a horrific case um, and one of the silliest things I've ever seen. So that was one. And then I had another case of um, and- couple who were raising their grandchild
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I don't know this for certain but um, I suspected that the reason why they were getting divorced was because the grandmother could not get health insurance for the grandchild mm-hmm. that was affordable without being a single parent uh-huh. um, and so I think she was trying to get maybe some government benefits um that she wouldn't be entitled to if she was married.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: why I did that, that is um this older couple would come to my office together. Oh. And they, you know, you could tell they just had the biggest love for one another. They were very kind to each other, um, very agreeable on everything. Um, I think when I did the divorce, they left the courthouse together holding hands. Um uh-huh. and so you know, that was that was another one that I, you know, I questioned the whole time. Why are these folks getting divorced? Um, um, we're really getting divorced. I suspect that, you know, as we did the divorce, they went back to living together. Cases like, you know, like I said, when somebody comes into my office and we're talking about what's going on and why they're getting divorced, um, the cases that I think, you know, I don't know that your situation's you know, bad enough, or warrants, you know, getting divorced, that this can probably be fixed um, with a really good counselor, or maybe, you know, getting a part-time job, you know, finding finding ways to resolve their issues without a full-blown divorce. That's my number two, um, and how I try to help people as opposed to just, you know, taking their money for a divorce, regardless of what the situation is. Cause at the end of the day, I want my client to be happy Mm -hmm. and solve their issues and, you know, taking their money and giving them a divorce on a case that they're, it's, I know based on my experience, the divorce is not going to fix the issue. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I, it gives me pause to do, and I don't like to do that. Um, if I can help it. Because, you know, I know at the end of the day, that's not going to resolve their issue. And I tell people all the time, you know, a lot of older people who may be going through like midlife crises. Um, yeah. And maybe they have friends that are getting divorced and they think, oh, things are going to be so much better if I can just get divorced and get rid of, you know, this fight I'm having. Um, you know, I like to give them examples and give them pause on, you know, grass is not always green on the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, the older we get, the smaller the pool is of, you know, possible uh, spouses. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's you're just going to be trading one issue for another. Exactly. And you know, and- if you can fix the issue you have, that's always best right. um, than splitting up your entire family. Yeah. And and then not being happy afterwards, anyways.
0: I had a girlfriend that said, dance with the devil, you know, you know, I already know what, what skeletons are in his closet. So I'd rather deal with that than get you know, a new, a new guy and have to yes. navigate and deal with all of his stuff. But on that same token, and I think, I've I think you've told me this before because we, we visit and spill the tea and all that good stuff, cheating, hookers and drugs the judge does not care what you're doing in your private time that, right. Like if, if you're a man or your woman is cheating on you and you're like, I'm going to divorce because they're cheating. They're not going to, they don't quote unquote care about that because that's not against the law. Or is it like, what is, what is it? This,
1: this is kind of how most courts deal with that issue. So if there is, um, you know cheating going on and that's the cause for the breakup of the marriage and you can prove that mm-hmm. the court um, can order a disproportionate portion of the marital estate to go to the non-offending um, but the, it's up to the court's discretion the court doesn't have to do that and if they do do a disproportionate division um, the court can do whatever kind of division they think you know, would warrant or help rectify the situation. Um, so that's really the only thing, you know, that type of behavior goes to in a final order or a final trial. Um, but if a spouse is, you know, dumping their kiddo off with a babysitter to go run around with someone they're having an affair with or exposing the kid to that type of behavior, mm-hmm. the court. Will then use those factors when determining what kind of possession that offending party is going to get with a child, um, and could limit their time with the child. Could order that their time be supervised. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they've got they've got some remedies um, with regards to the you know child possession to also rectify that behavior.
0: Okay, we're gonna switch gears for a second because I know I've kept long enough. Um, I do this bit with all of my guests that come on the podcast and we go over the paint colors in their home. And I know you know them because you texted them to me last night. (laughs) Yes. You want to go over the paint colors in your home, especially since your husband is a builder.
1: Yes. I'm kind of in a, I'm kind of in a, um, I don't know, a beneficial uh, position because my husband is a, and um, I've had probably five or six houses now since we've been married. Mm-hmm. We're about to remodel a house we just bought and paint it all. On. Yes. So, um, <laughs> and, yes. And so we've had a wide array of colors. We started off with, um, and you'll have probably have to help me remember the the names of because I can't see my list that I wrote down. I've um, got, but. Killing bait, killing beige. Yes, a, it, a lot of, and we would just do the whole house in that. Yes, bedrooms or an accent wall. Yes, that color because my taste is very rustic, mm-hmm. and so I you do a lot of um browns and maybe autumn colors in my um furniture, and so color tended to blend well with my style and my character. Yeah. Um, but since we've been, you know, since kind of the trend has moved more towards, you know, light and bright, now we're using more of these is it called snow? Snowbound. snowbound. It's a bright light. Yes. Yeah. So we use snowbound, whether we use it, the eggshell or matte, you can paint it several different ways. Um, and I do a lot of that now. And just do the whole house. In the white. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe in the kids rooms. I we'll do a different color. In the media room we'll do a different color. Or like some kind of accent wall. But I like mm-hmm. bright colors. Myself. And so a lot of my furniture and pictures. Are you know bright. Colored. Um, things. And so I find that the white looks best. Um, with the decor that I have now yeah yeah it makes it stand out and it's an easy it's an easy uh, background you know yeah. it, it matches everything and it's yeah. easy to if you have kids and I've got three kids so if you've got sharpie on the wall or you know crayons or you know markers it's easy to cover it up
0: yeah Even I always say the color and in doubt go with white because it goes with everything. Yes. Yeah. And then you have agreeable gray and ballet slipper. Yes. And we will do agreeable
1: gray in some you know rooms that we don't want all white because mm-hmm. um, it's a good transition color. White, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my my daughter's room, the last one we did a color in. We did the ballet slipper because she had kind of um, her furniture was dove gray. Um, you know, light pink, uh, flowery kind of, and that that looked really well with the dove gray and the white furniture that we had in her bedroom.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, okay, I'm going to give you, uh, I love ballet slipper, and that's Benjamin Moore color. So you have the other colors are Sherwin colors. Um. So if you want to try something different, but you still want it to be close to the colors that you told me, mm-hmm white instead of snowbound your white is more neutral snowbound can pull pink undertones but snowbound is brighter than if you're wanting a cleaner white you definitely want to do snowbound and then beige is it's been used a lot and that is i think the locator number is 204 and if you go to 205 natural linen is just a little bit more stony a little less yellow in it
1: Mm -hmm. it
0: I think you might really like that color because it'll keep you in that neutral zone but just, and keep you um, more, it feels more earthy without okay. like flesh, if that makes sense. And then Gossamer Veil vale is almost identical to Agreeable Gray. It's just a hair lighter and it's it's really, really pretty. And I love Gossamer Veil vale with Pure White when you have extra dark floors. It looks really polished. So, just remember those colors. So if you want to keep it the same, but you want to change it up and do something that's not as overused, those would be the color. Absolutely. No, I need to get that list from you. <laughs> I can text it to you in a heartbeat. Okay. How can people get a hold of you to services? Okay. Um, well,
1: my law firm's name is Blanchard Thomas.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, our website is BlanchardThomas.com. And you can find our office number there. So they can reach me in that way. They can also send me an email to Christy, K-R-I-S-T-Y, at Blanchard, B-L-A-N-C-H-A-R-D, Thomas, dot com. We have a, our primary office is in Waco. Um, however, I've got a satellite office um, here in the Dallas area. Mm-hmm. And so we practice pretty much all over the Metroplex and a lot of the small, small communities. So if we can't help you and it's not an area where we practice, I always tell people I will find the right lawyer for you. Um, My law, my law partner and I both served as presidents of the Texas Young Lawyers Association. I was going to go. Yes mentioned all your accolades and the beauty of that is i know lawyers all over the state of texas mm-hmm. um and all the family law attorneys are all over the state of texas so if you need specific to your area i will help you find that lawyer
0: mm-hmm. thank That's you the- so much for sharing so much of yourself with me today i really appreciate it and i know oh, thank you, you. too yes thank you so much it was so much fun well, thank you again. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds Hey, y'all, it's Faith. Are you thinking about painting your home or business and you just don't know where to go? Or you need a little extra encouragement that you are going in the right direction? Well, I'm your gal. Make sure to go to my website at bluebonnethome.net and contact me today for an in-home color consultation or virtual. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Faith with Bluebonnet Home.